Let's transition. Take out your Bibles. Take out the handout sheet that was given you at the front door and we can begin. We are in part 12 of our Called by God series through the book of 1 Timothy. We're trying to go through this line by line and I entitled today's message, We have confidence for a purpose. We're in the year of purpose, but we have confidence for a purpose. And as I draw your attention to the fill in the blank, let me just say this. Anyone that preaches from this pulpit, whether it's Bishop or whether or not it is Pastor Brian or it's myself, whoever it is, we have a tremendous teaching team. We have so many more amazing teachers. Whoever is up here, what we try to do is anytime we're going to give you a command from scripture, something that you're supposed to do, right? Do this, don't do that. Anytime we have that, we always want to start from the place of your identity with Christ, then go to the action. Why? Because it is very easy to shift into a performance-based religious mindset to say, oh, the pastor said, I have to do this to be loved by God. That is incorrect. That is not what we said. We said, you are loved by God, therefore you're full in order to do this. But let's make sure we have identity locked in first. We are not trying to make God love us. God cannot love us more than he loves us right now. If you could never do any more outward ministry, let's say you had a brain aneurysm, you go into a coma. I need you to know that God loves you just as much if you never do another thing for the kingdom. Y'all following me? Why? Because we're his kids. That's why you do not struggle to go love people. God fills you up with so much love that you can spill out on other people. You do not struggle to give grace to other people. You let his grace so overwhelm you. It is natural to extend grace to other people. God always initiates. He's always the one that fills us up and fills us up and fills us up. That's why we are able to do the commands and challenges of the Bible. Any command of the Bible is really a promise that God will enable you to do it. If God says, I want you to be my witnesses, that is because he is going to give you the power to be his witnesses, right? So we do not need to read the Bible with a fear. We do not need to read the Bible with a weight on our shoulders. We read the Bible saying, God, what are you going to do in me next? What are you going to do in me next? Because I'm going to be talking through a number of commands that Paul's going to give Timothy. And you go, oh, every time I hear those, I don't feel equipped. I don't feel strong. I don't feel like I can do that. Ah, but you should. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Children of the king should live with confidence. Children of the king should live with confidence. Who are you? You're a son and daughter of the king of all creation. You should not be so confident per se in what you can do, but really confident in what he can do through you, right? Because here's the thing, we are but jars of clay. But who dwells within us? The Holy Spirit of God. That means there is no situation you're going to walk into that's going to take him by surprise. There is no obstacle that will come in front of you that if he wants removed, he cannot remove. Of course he can. There is no lack of information that he cannot download to you. 
In other words, everywhere you walk, you are walking as an empowered believer of God. And we should have our head up high, fully confident in who God is in us and what he can do through us. There is no reason for us to keep our head down or to be fearful or to feel like we're on our own. You are never on your own if you are a child of God. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you till the end of the age. He said, until you come up and hang with me, I will be there with you. You're never alone. So for that reason, May we be more confident and bold as we walk through this world. Yeah? All right. Let's dive into this. First Timothy chapter four, verse 11. First Timothy chapter four, verse 11. We're going to continue in this theme of the series that we believe every one of us is a leader. Remember, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Wherever you have influence, you're a leader. If that is for your kids, you are a leader in your home. If that is for your friends, you are a leader with your friends. If you have any influence at work, you're a leader there. If you have any influence with your neighbors, if you have any influence with your extended family, if you have any influence in a ministry, you are a leader. But you're not just a leader. Every one of us that are, have called out to Jesus Christ and asked to be saved and rescued... When he came into our lives and cleansed us and purified us and made us righteous. He made us a minister of the kingdom of God. We are walking ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Remember, you are the only Bible some people will ever know, right? You're the only Jesus they may ever know. So... We are not only ambassadors of the kingdom, we're ambassadors of Bridgeway. Everyone is going to judge this church by you. They're going to determine whether or not this church is loving, kind, accepting. They're going to determine whether or not this is a place of truth, righteousness, and goodness based on your life. They don't know me. They don't, they have never been here. They only know you. You're the ambassador. So we have a responsibility, do we not? To make sure we represent the Lord and our church well. So we got to watch how we live and we got to influence rightly. This is what we're going to get into today. First Timothy chapter four, verse 11. It begins like this. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I need you to command and to teach these things. What things? What do you mean command and teach? Like what you're about to say or what you've already said? Well, I think he means both, but here's what he's already said. Really so far in this letter, he's told us, five things that we needed to do, meaning five things that Timothy needed to do. Here's what he said. Number one, Timothy, I need you to stop the false teachers and the false doctrines. You got to shut it down, buddy. This cannot happen in our church. Number two, I need you to keep the gospel pure. Keep the gospel pure. Number three, pray for all people, especially authorities. Y'all remember when we talked about that? Pray for all people, especially authorities. Number four, honor one another at church and care for one another. We need some order around here. You don't just get to hurt anybody, right? Let's have honor and order in our church. Number five, I need you to get good, solid leaders in place so they can lead us well. So he's told us those five things. He said that to Timothy. 
Timothy, I've given you five things I need you to do. I need you to command and I need you to teach these things. But I got more for you. I need you to command and teach those things as well. What's the difference between commanding and teaching? Well, here's the part that I need to talk to you as all leaders and influencers. There is a time you need to put on some authority mantle on yourself. Here's what I mean. Y'all know that when I come up here and I start preaching, I get all strong and I get on and I'm yelling and being loud and stuff like that. Usually that has to do with preaching the word of God. And the reason why I do that is I didn't come up with it in the first place. That is actually, I'm communicating something I know to be true. And I know that if you implement it, your life is going to be better. That's why I'm so strong about it because it's God's word. If I'm communicating God's word, I come with all authority because I know he's right. I need you to do the same thing. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. If your friend comes to you and says, I don't know. You know what? Nobody cares about me. This life doesn't have meaning. I need you to put on that mantle of Jesus Christ and go, hold up. I don't know everything, but I know that. Let me tell you, that's not right. Not only do I love you enough to be having this conversation, but my heavenly father, he loves you so much. And I'm very clear on this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would never die, but have eternal life. So don't you tell me that no one loves you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You understand how you get strong? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sometimes I need you to bring you back into reality. And I'm going to come with the heat on that. Yeah? We got to have the mantle of authority of saying, my Jesus says that is not true. My Jesus says that you are loved. And I'm not going to let lies dictate our conversation. Okay, but we also command, but we also teach. Do we not? Because here's the other thing. The church is very famous for stating commands, but not helping people understand what they mean, right? If you're a leader, let's say you're saying to your kids, you all need to shape up. What does that mean? Like, what do you mean shape up? Like, I don't know what you are defining as, but I need to know if I'm doing any work, I'm going to get credit for it. Yeah. Right. So I need to know what you think shape up means. You can't just bark commands at me. You got to teach me what you're talking about. Because we tend to do this stuff all the time. The world needs to quit sinning. What? Come on. First of all, we need to quit sinning first. And the other thing is when you bark that out at somebody, they don't know the resources that you know. They don't have the truth that you know. They don't have any of that stuff. So you need to back up and help explain why you would even say that. We need to be good at explaining ourselves. Because God's given us plenty of directions. All right. So he says this, Timothy, I need you to command and teach these things. Then verse 12, and let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. Why would he write that? Because someone was despising him because of his youth, right? That's not rocket science. Pretty clear, right? Why would they despise him? The problem in the church was that there was false teachers coming in and saying that Timothy didn't know what he was talking about. They're going to attack him on everything. He's younger than they are. What do you think they're going to say? Kid, you know nothing. I've been on this planet 
15, 20, 25 years longer than you. You don't know. I know. And you got to remember, in a society where age is well-respected in the Jewish uh, culture, it's very hard to go up against your superiors and your elders. He was going head-to-head with teachers going, I am your authority. Paul said, stop. God is your authority. You follow the instructions of God. He's the one that called you into ministry. Don't you dare let them despise you because of your youth. Were you or were you not called, right? But the question comes up, how do you stop someone from despising you, right? We've all been around psychology long enough to know the only person you can change is yourself, right? We all, we've heard that about a million times. Yeah. You can't change other people. Okay, great. So they're going to say what they're going to say, but there are two things at least that you can do. I want you to write these down because everybody's a leader. Everybody's going to have some hits somewhere. Let's say that you are leading your children. You find out that their friends are saying, well, you need to do this. And they go, well, my parents won't let me. And the parent, and they're despising you, right? They're saying, you know what? Well, your parents don't know what they're talking about. And your parents are just all those Christian holy rollers. And your parents are old school. And right, let's say they're getting all this heat. What are you going to do? You can't stop the kids from talking. But number one, you can change the atmosphere. Change the atmosphere. What do I mean by that? You can handle how it's received by your kids and you can shut down the avenues and create a new dialogue. Here's the point. In church, I cannot stop people from slandering me. But I can stop them from slandering me here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meaning I'm going to change the atmosphere. I'm not going to allow a leader who is wrongly slandering me to continue to be a leader in this church. That's not going to work. I can say, listen, you can slander me. You just got to go outside and do it. I'm not going to, I'm going to change the atmosphere. The other thing is I change the dialogue, right? What I can do is open up my life, be honest that if anyone has heard something, let's talk about it. What do you got? Right? I can completely change the conversation but don't just let toxicity stay in your environment. Get it out. So number one, you change the atmosphere. Apparently it seemed to be a big issue in the early church. Paul told Titus in 2.15, let no one disregard you because people were disregarding him. They weren't taking him seriously. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We've got to manage people. In, in our world, perception becomes reality, does it not? what people think they've heard, they now start judging off of it. So I can't allow rumor to take over the church. Well, let's go back to the example of your kids and their friends. You can't stop their friends from saying that, but you can stop how much your children are involved with those children. You can make sure that they don't talk about it in your house, right? So we change the atmosphere. Number two, stop it from soaking into your spirit. Stop it from soaking into your spirit. Once again, I've highlighted a number of times. We can hear a million compliments. We hear one challenge and we're soaking on that, right? We hear one person say something negative about me. I've had uh, leaders, people in my life say pretty brutal, terrible things, right? I think about them all the time. They said it once, I've replayed it about a thousand times. So how many times did they really say it in my mind? A thousand times. Okay, that's on me. That's not on them. 
They may have moved on. They don't even think that anymore. I'm still playing it. Okay, we have to stop it from soaking into our spirit. We can't allow it to define us and shape us. You can't stop what they say, but you can definitely change how you receive it. Yeah? Um, This seemed to be a big issue for Timothy. In in the second letter that Paul wrote to him, 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7, he said this. For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Why you tell somebody in the Bible to not be afraid? Because they are afraid. Timothy, you are timid, and that's not how God built you. You're always worried about whether or not you're able. God is able. You're always worried about what other people are going to think. What does God think? Do you understand? We've got to change the dialogue in your head, my friend, because it's not right. But notice it was a constant struggle. 1 Corinthians 16, 10 through 11. Here's what Paul says of the church of Corinth. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him, help him on his way in peace. Why is Paul constantly having to do that? Because Timothy was not being confident. And people were all over him. Does that ever happen to you? Have you ever been called into a place that you didn't feel like you were able to handle it? Has God ever surprised you and put you into a leadership place? And you're like, God, I, I have no interest in doing this. Let's say, for example, you got pregnant early. You were not expecting that. And now suddenly you're a mom. Now suddenly you're a dad. And you're like, whoa, I wasn't even prepared for this. Or whatever. And you go, I'm a reluctant leader. What I need you to know is that didn't catch God by surprise. God knows how to handle it and he can equip you for that place. Let's say your company got bought out by another company and the other company's coming in and they're really cutthroat and it's hardcore. Here's my point. You're going, man, I don't even know what I'm doing here. And all of a sudden your confidence level drops. I need you to remember God is with you. God is with you. You may need to make a decision that you don't want to be in that environment anymore, but you're not in danger. God is with you. You're safe in his arms. He's got you. You can handle this one. Because all throughout the Bible, there are leaders that were called that were very reluctant, like Moses's. Remember? Man, I can't speak right. You need to grab somebody else. You probably grabbed the wrong person. And I know that's how you feel. But God didn't make a mistake. He picked you. Well, I'm not the right person. You are. Or he would have picked somebody else. You're in that situation. You're the Jesus in that situation. You're the Holy Spirit in that situation. You are not supposed to have all the resources in your pocket. That's what God's for, right? You can handle this. How old was Timothy? Well, what's interesting is this is likely 15 years after they started ministry together. So he's not a little kid. I don't know how old he was when he started in ministry with Paul, but he wasn't a child. So he's certainly older, at least in our minds. Here's something cool about the Jews again. You know how the Jews always come up with these cool ways of sorting out life very easy? This is another one. We might want to adopt this one. You ready? There's only two ages. You're either over 40 or under 40. There you go. If you're under 40, you're a youth. If you're over 40, you're an elder. 
Those are your only two choices, right? So I'm an elder, just letting you guys know. I'm an elder in this church. Uh, if you're under 40, you're a youth. Now, he's likely about 35, 38, and you're going, well, that's, that's not very young. Well, in their culture, it was. The early church wouldn't allow somebody to be a bishop until they were 50. They, they only respected the authority of older people. Well, if God calls you as a young person into a ministry with people that are older than you, what are you going to do? Man, it's tough, right? When I far, first started teaching here, I was 24 years old. That's craziness, right? 24, I became a pastor at 25. I mean, it's just one of those things that you go, really? How are you supposed to handle that? Anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> I just need you to know, sometimes God calls you young, right? Have you ever read Jeremiah 1, 7 and 8? But the Lord said to me, Jeremiah wrote, do not say I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. Whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of them. I'm with you. Man, sometimes you are young and God says you have a lot to say. Remember, the younger you are, little kids don't get a junior Holy Spirit. They get the full deal, right? So if you're a kid, God is in you. He's moving through you. Did he call you? Then you're legit. Amen? Amen. All right. He said, but the best way to change people's opinions and the perspective that they have on you is just live in a way that it doesn't stick to you. I need you, Timothy, to set an example for the believers around you in the church. Set an example in five areas. Speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. Right? Let me go through those real quick because there's, it's for all of us. Number one, speech. Be careful of what you say. What you say has dramatic consequences. Be very careful on what you say. For example, if you are a leader in your home, let's say you're a mama. If you're a gossip, you just lost the respect of your kids. Why? They can hear you on the phone, right? Oh, well, it's just me and my friend. No, it's not. It's your whole household. And if you are a gossip, they don't respect that because they know it's not right. Be very careful on how you use your words, but it's not just words. It's also conduct, is it not? If your conduct does not match your words, we are a church family. We are this, we are that. And you're constantly barking on them. Well, how would Jesus handle it at school? Well, how would, if your life is completely contrary, they're going to grow up hating not only the church, but they're going to completely resist anything with Christianity because it looks bogus to them. The only authority of their life was inconsistent. And they're like, I don't know what to do with that. We've got to be careful on how we talk and how we act, right? But there's more. Set an example in love. That word is agape. Coolest definition of agape. You ready? Unconquerable benevolence. You're like, what does that mean? It means no matter what other people do or say, you will always desire their best. How about that one? That's Christian love. That means I love because it emanates from a full spirit of who God has poured into me and it doesn't matter what's coming the other direction. That's got no bearing on whether I'm loving or not. I do not love in reaction. I love on purpose. It's always pouring into me and I'm cascading it out. So whether or not they're receiving the love or whether or not they're responding with love actually has nothing to do with it. You love because it's the type of person you are. 
You don't love just because it works for you or, or they're receiving it. Who cares what they're doing? I care about what you're doing. We set an example in love. Number four, set an example in faith. At some point, we need to get into a mature enough place where we can say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Right? As opposed to challenging every, I don't know, I don't know, the whole world is up and, you know, it's up in the air, I don't know, everything's relative. Stop. Did God say something? All right. That is how it goes. Now, you need to do a lot of work to figure out what God really said. But if God really said it, if God says, I love the world so much, then God loves the world so much. There you go. That's faith. Faith means I'm locked in. I trust him at his word. Let's move forward. If Jesus said he's coming back, guess what? He's coming back. I'm not arguing about that, right? He's coming back. All right, last one. Set an example in purity. Set an example in purity. This goes for men and women. Here's why. And I've shared this with you before. Uh, normally, this can mean purity in business decisions and finance. It can mean purity in motives and all these different things. But it tends to be used in the area of sexual purity. Why? Because it's a game changer. If there is a guy in authority or in leadership or in influence, right? We've seen a lot of these things in the news lately, right? There's been a lot of stuff going on in the news lately about someone abusing their authority and abusing their ability to try to manipulate somebody else. All right. If you have any influence or authority and you lead women and you're a man and those women know that you are a predator, you're done. There is no respect there. If women know that you're a player, if women know that you have your eyes scouting for other people other than your wife, you're done. That's just, it doesn't work because the women can't relax, they can't be peaceful, and they can't trust you. Because they are women and they're going, well, how does he think about me? So you have to be very careful on how you handle your sexuality. In the same way, ladies, you're not off the hook. Because here's the problem. If you're an authority, and we have women in authority all over the place, thank the Lord. If you are in authority and you are using your sexuality to manipulate, you're done. Because the minute you walk out of that room, guys will have a lot to say about you and none of it is, I respect her. You understand? So if you're in the office place and you're using your sexuality to advance, the girls hate you, the guys don't respect you. Be very careful on how you handle your sexuality. It's almost like a weapon, right? Let's be very careful with that because it ruins your leadership. Let's pick it up at verse 13. Paul was in Macedonia. So he said, until I come, I need you to devote yourselves to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. We get the impression that Timothy wanted to quit. Why do you tell somebody you got to devote yourself to ministry? Because they're not devoted to ministry. Why would you want to quit ministry? I don't know. Why do you want to quit leadership? Why do you sometimes go, I don't want to be a parent anymore? Right? Let me give you four common reasons. Number one, fear. Sometimes you're getting bullied out of a position. It may be at work. It may be something else, but you just feel like I'm under threat all the time. Sometimes people leave ministry out of fear. Number two, self-doubt and discouragement. Yeah. 
God, things aren't the way I want them, and I don't know if I can even do this. I don't think I'm the right person. Yeah? Number three, exhaustion and a broken spirit. You know there's a lot that needs to be done, you just don't got anything in the tank. So you bail. Number four, distraction. Have you ever gotten off your focus? Because everything else in the world has pulled you some other way and you realize I haven't even been focusing on my marriage for the last three years and it's really in disrepair. Why? Because other stuff stole your attention. Hmm. He said, Timothy, I need you to stay in the game and I need you to be devoted to three core things. Number one, I need you to be devoted to the word of God. Um, why do we need to be so devoted to the word of God? Because we need to be reminded of who he is and who we are every time. Who is he? Who are we? That's what we do. You guys, I, I have to be honest with you. Now, the idea of teaching through the Bible, verse by verse, is, is a strength for me. It's something that I love. It's something that's very peaceful for me. But it wasn't always that way. I'll tell you this. Teaching through the Bible line by line through like really boring passages or hard times is not sexy. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, what am I teaching on? Everyone's going to be like, yawn, boring. I teach line by line because I believe that God knows better on what you need to hear than I do. You understand what I'm talking about? Now, there are other great teachers that teach other ways. I have to do what I'm called to do. But the reason I do it in this manner is because I believe you need a healthy diet that's balanced by God. I understand it's not as exciting. Man, there's stuff, man, if I just had the ability to just teach whatever I wanted to teach, I'd be grabbing all the coolest stuff out of here, right? And every week you'd be like, dang, right? That was incredible, right? But some of these weeks I have to go by and I have to go, huh, huh, right? Like, okay, it was all right, right? But here's the reason why it's so important. Because I'm good at impressing you. God's good at impacting you. If you end up leaving going, man, that service was awesome and you're not changed, who cares? Right? Only God changes you. So we got to get him in the mix. Number two, you got to be devoted to exhortation. This is a crazy word. Exhortation means everything from comfort and consoling all the way to smacking people around and going, you need to go right now. What it means is you need to get people motivated to do the right thing. Sometimes the right thing is they're, they're lost in grief and despair and you need to raise them back up to healthy. Sometimes it means they're way out of line and you got to get them back on the right path. Y'all following me? Here's the coolest thing about that word. The word is parakletos in Greek. It means paraclete and it's the word that's used for the Holy Spirit. It's what he does. The one that comes and walks alongside and he's your comforter. He's your helper. He's the one that comes in and goes, what do you need? Let's go. Sometimes I got to get you off the couch. Sometimes I got to get you to shower. Sometimes I need to get you to be reading your words. Sometimes I just need to sit and hold your hand while you cry. That's what I do. I'm the Holy Spirit. We need to be the Holy Spirit in this world. Yeah? We need to come alongside people and go, what do you need? What do you need? I'm here on behalf of the kingdom. What do you need? You need to cry? I'll cry with you. You need some motivation? Let's go. We're the Holy Spirit because he indwells us. Amen? All right. He said, Timothy, we'll wrap this up. Do not neglect the gift you have, buddy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I'm teaching on prophecy in our supernatural series this evening. 
We're talking about that. He said, Timothy, you never forget, never forget your experience with God. We as a council of elders all gathered around you. We laid our hands on you. God started speaking and you received fresh new gifts. You not only have the Holy Spirit, you have special enablement to get done what you need to get done. So you are called by God. Don't forget it. Man, you're going to keep going, but there's more to do and I'm not equipped. God is equipped. Stop. You got to hang in there. Practice these things, buddy. Verse 15. Immerse yourself into them so that everyone can see your progress. And by the way, verse 16, Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. If you go down, everybody goes down. Watch it. Watch your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Now, this is where some of us go, well, people don't save anybody. Hold up. It's super basic. Who saves people? God saves people. How does he do it? Through the gospel. Who's the person that's supposed to deliver the gospel? You. There you go. How will they know unless you tell them? That's what the Bible says. Okay, so we are purveyors of truth. The truth will set them free. That's how it works. All right, can I have the prayer team come on up here? Y'all, I believe... I believe that there is a way to live in victory and confidence in the Lord. I believe that we are not victims. I believe that we have more than enough. I believe that we are men and women of abundance. I believe that we are strong in Christ. I believe we can do all things through him who strengthens us. I do not believe that we are weak. I do not believe that we are overwhelmed. I believe that we will have the power by the Holy Spirit to stand up under anything that comes our way. I believe that we should be so confident with our head held high that God is with us. If God is with us, who cares who stands against us? Y'all following me? All right, so in the same way, the prayer team is up here, not because they are confident they will have all the answers or they will pray all the right prayers. That's not why they're here. They are here because they are confident that God knows the answers. They're simply going to go touch base with him, right? They do not have to be perfect. God is perfect. They do not have to be wise. God is wise. So they're up here to minister to you on his behalf, fully confident in who God is in them not just in who they are. Although I think they're pretty awesome. Let me just close and pray a blessing over you and you can put your envelopes on the way out. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for ministering to us. And God, we are indeed called to influence all over the place. Everywhere we go, somebody's watching us, somebody's listening. God, would you help us to be good ambassadors of you? That, Lord, that we draw people more to you. We instill and inspire more love. We are the ones that are the peacemakers. We're the ones that are out there being the Holy Spirit. And, God, I know that some of us here are still blinded by struggle and difficulty. I ask that you would, everywhere that you see opening, set us free. Set us free. Set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend.